Chapter Six of the Randolphs by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six: Beginnings. Now, what does this room need? Tom said, and he halted in the center of the long and elegantly furnished saloon and looked inquiringly at Mrs. Monroe, who was silently following him. I have studied it all day. In fact, I have been at it for two or three days, and I have made a dozen different twists and turns, but there is something lacking, something that makes a fellow feel stiff and uncomfortable, and I am sure I don't know what it is. One would have thought that a reasonable mortal might have been satisfied with that room. It was long and rather narrow, a graceful shape for a large room. It was carpeted in soft, rich hues, looking like the shimmer of sunlight among buds and leaves. The curtains at the many windows were long and fine, and beautifully clear. The sofas and easy chairs, of which there were many, were upholstered in just the right shape to add to the beauty of the carpet. The tables were marble-topped and graceful as to shade. The piano was a large and a good one, you could see that at a glance. And yet, as Tom surveyed it from mirror to mirror, he turned back again to his sister and shook his head, while he repeated his question, "'What is the matter with it?' "'It looks as though you had taken a square and made geometrical lines for everything to stand in, and forbidden a person to touch them,' Mrs. Monroe said, and as she spoke she instinctively put forth her hand and gave the books on the table before her a scientific shove to right and left. Entering into the spirit of the change the little movement had made, she passed up and down that room, setting a chair crooked here and wheeling a sofa there into a different angle, scattering the music piled squarely into a corner of the piano into systematic confusion. And the people who do not understand its laws, or who ignore its existence, have rooms fixed by rule and square. It would have amused you to note the difference that those few rapid and simple changes made in that room. Tom looked on in silent surprise and approbation, until, as he wheeled a great handsome rocker into a corner where the gas-jet threw just the right angle of light and sank into it, he drew a long breath of satisfaction and said, "'It is a room at last. It has been nothing in the world but a great handsome furniture warehouse before, in spite of every effort of mine. You women are remarkable.' It would have been pleasant, perhaps, if these two people could have realized how much had been done in that few minutes. Tom was conscious of feeling that there was an atmosphere about Helen that he had not appreciated before. She knew how to do certain things that looked simple enough in the doing, but were worse than a geometrical puzzle to him. As for Helen, for almost the first time since she could remember, she had succeeded in doing Tom a kindness and in gratifying him it gave her a more kindly feeling to everybody. "'What is all this for?' she asked, gazing up and down the room with satisfied eyes. The beauty and the refinement displayed here actually rested her. She was such a lover of beautiful things, especially of things that meant wealth and cultured taste and leisure to enjoy. She had not deigned to ask any questions up to this time. "'What is this room for? It used to be a ballroom, didn't it?' I've been in it. And her eyes took a dreamy cast, as they were apt to do when she went back into that past, which had been in many respects so pleasant to her, without her realizing much of the pleasure. 
Yes, Tom said. It was the ballroom, but it was something more now. It is a secret, he added with smiling eyes. Even Mr. Harper doesn't know what it is for. He thinks it is a great parlor in which, for some reason, I have a special interest. Now I mean to tell you what it is. Or here, I'll show you what is to go above the windows outside. He went to the largest sofa, and, wheeling it out, displayed behind it a long board set quietly back against the wall. This being turned, displayed in its reverse side, in letters of clear gold, Young Men's Christian Association Rooms. Rooms, quoted Helen, laughing, yet with a softened look in her eyes. It was something so new, and it was certainly very pleasant to be having a confidential chat with Tom. Where are the rooms? I don't see but one. Oh, yes, there are, he said eagerly, only I haven't had time to show you yet. See here. There were doors at this end of the old ballroom, and there had been good-sized dressing rooms opening out of it. These were fitted up elegantly, the one for toilet purposes, and the other was the very perfection of daintiness, evidently intended as a quiet little resort for two who might have a word to say to each other in private. Helen laughed again, but she was becoming intensely interested. "'Where are the young men?' she asked, as they came back, and she seated herself at the piano. She never played nowadays. "'They are to be found,' he said promptly. "'There must be some of the right sort in this great city, and there must be more who can be made. This is a manufactory, Helen, and we have the very best tools that the world affords.' As he spoke, he laid his hand with a sudden and impressive movement on the large Bible resting on the little table where it stood. "'And you are going to manufacture men?' She did not say it scornfully, nor in sarcasm, as she so often spoke, but as if the idea were new and interesting. "'Will you help?' he asked, stepping nearer to her, and speaking with an eager face and voice. "'I help,' she said, and there was that peculiar uplifting of the eyebrows that meant so much. Yet behind it Tom thought he detected a wistful glance, as if it would be pleasant to be a helper anywhere. What could I do? A great deal, if you will. I will surely find you work to do. Will you occasionally give us some good music here, in the early evening, when we have special need for some? It was a simple enough thing to do, and it sounded pleasant enough. At least it would be pleasant if one had appreciative listeners. Helen was not one of those who loved music for its own sake, but she began to feel that she was condescending a good deal in regard to a scheme at which she had hitherto expressed nothing but disapproval. So she said, speaking coldly, "'I don't think I can promise to do anything. You know I do not approve of the idea. The fancy is pleasant enough, of course, and sounds philanthropic, but for all that it is a great expenditure of money that does not belong to you, and a great risk. For that matter, it is more than a risk. It is a direct throwing away of money. Mr. Harper expects it to succeed financially, of course, or he would never have gone into it, and you are young and not expected to be gifted with wonderful wisdom. I am afraid you will come to grief and have endless embarrassments, and as a family we have had trouble enough." This was so much nearer a feeling of actual interest in himself and his work than Helen had ever shown before, that, though it may sound cold and very disheartening to you, 
Tom was decidedly encouraged and not a little touched by it. He drew a chair near her and seated himself. "'I understand your feeling,' he said heartily, "'and it is the most natural one in the world, the more so as I have really never done anything to inspire you with confidence in me. But, Helen, you don't half know our brother-in-law, none of us do. I had a feeling very much like yours. I nearly gave up the hope of this thing after it was all planned.' he saw something was amiss and questioned me it is involving an entire fortune i said it amounts to that and if it is a stupendous failure what then i cannot but feel that i am risking so much that belongs to you it isn't my money at all he said quietly it is money that has been entrusted to me to invest in a sure thing and i invest it here because i feel so sure of the dividends well helen i tell you i was startled it was bad enough to be using his money, but to use up another's, a stranger's, who would not know if I failed whether I had tried to do my best or not, was a thing not to be thought of. I can't do that, I said in great heat. I didn't understand it so. I can't assume such a responsibility as that. Look here, he said, let me show you the lender's name. And he took a book from his pocket and showed me those words, the silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. There, he said, you know the sort of return that he asks. Can he trust you? And, oh, Helen, it made such a difference. I understood Mr. Harper's feeling. He meant that God had called him to do this thing, and I believe he has called me, and I mean to try to be a faithful steward. You are an enthusiast, Helen said, smiling and rising as she spoke and Mr. Harper is another, and I am not, but I am sure I wish I were. It must be pleasant to have an intense interest in anything. "'You haven't answered my question yet,' her brother said, rising also, and walking down the long room with her. "'Oh, as to that, I am not an enthusiast on the temperance question either, you know. I don't believe in extremes of any sort. At the same time, if you really want my help, it is a new thing for any one to want anything of me, but if there is anything that I can do, why, let me know, and I will try to do it. And as Tom held open the door for her to pass, and thanked her again for the services she had rendered him that afternoon, he felt that he had at least gained a victory. He was more interested in Helen, and he realized more her need of help than he ever had before. Whether she helps me or not, he said reflectively as he walked back alone. She shall try to if I can get her into it, for I begin to feel sure that we can help her. I wonder if she is really and truly a Christian at heart. Oh, to know for a certainty whether some who have a name to live are really alive, and so be at rest about them. Later that evening Tom had another caller. Maria came in with haste and business. He did not take her through the handsome room, nor show her the gold-lettered sign. He had a fancy that she would consider those things too visionary. Instead, he took her to the large, light, thoroughly furnished kitchen, and showed her all the conveniences thereof. "'It is just splendid,' she said. "'It will really be nothing but fun for the girls to work, and that brings me to the subject that brought me over just now. I am really almost distracted on that question of girls.' I have talked with a dozen today, and none of them will do. I thought we had found a perfect treasure for you to serve as cook. 
she came highly recommended had worked at the lorry house did the cooking there for six months you know that is a first-class house and i told helen if half she said about herself as to the work she did there would prove true she would be a treasure so i had her come in and wait while i posted off to the lorry house not ostensibly you know i was supposed to be going to consult you but instead i whisked around to the lorry house and you need not build your hopes on her in the least for she won't do all she said about herself as a cook was true and more too the half has not been told but don't you think the dreadful thing drinks like a fish the colored waiter informed me said they had some dreadful scenes with her she would go on nicely enough for a while and suddenly the breakfast would be no nest he actually said it tom in those very words what has become of the girl she is still waiting i presume i left grace on guard for fear her pastime might be stealing and as i had to pass here i thought she might as well wait while i ran up for a minute and here i am staying an hour grace will be distracted but i came to say that you would do better to advertise in the evening papers that would bring an army of them it always does what is her name tom asked thoughtfully what the evening papers she has a good many names there are several of them if you recollect tom laughed i mean the girl maria i think we will try her if you have an idea that she will suit in other respects try her and maria's face expressed horror why tom she drinks i tell you she has just recovered from a time now that waiter said she was reeling among the streets night before last that would be an extraordinary sign for a temperance hotel to say nothing of the inconvenience it would cause maria said tom speaking half lightly if your imagination can take such a flight as that suppose yourself to be a poor girl i am promptly interpolated maria out of employment oh i am not and suppose you had the appetite of a drunkard upon you suppose you were willing and eager to reform what would you want the christian the temperance public to do for you by way of sympathy and help turn you aside because they were temperance people and could not encourage drunkenness or employ you and give you a chance at reformation but aren't you jumping at conclusions i may not be willing to try to reform they all are tom's face was grave enough now and he spoke with energy i know about it maria i have been in the meshes it is a horrible slavery and every one wants to be free i mean to try that girl engage her for me maria but tom it is really dangerous she may set the house on fire not so likely as are dozens of the people who occupy the back rooms of first-class hotels all over the land she will have to go outside for her poison the most of them find it within doors no i tell you this is the place for her if she is used to working at hotels she would not be satisfied in a private family even if they would try her and she can find places enough at hotels where she will breathe a daily atmosphere of temptation i shall try her all the same i think it is foolish maria said obstinately charity begins at home that's in the bible isn't it well if it isn't it ought to be don't endanger your own house trying to do a wild goodness to somebody who doesn't appreciate it is my motto no it isn't 
Tom said, smiling a gravely sweet smile. Your motto in mine is an infinite reach above that. Whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. Oh, that tiresome golden rule, Maria said petulantly, drawing her shawl about her. I have given that up. I declare to you that I was never so tired in my life as I was after chasing that up for a week. It won't do for me. It reaches too many ways. I must have more leisure before I live by that rule. Then you yield the point of argument, do you? What, that I cannot live after your mottoes? No, not at all. I simply haven't time to follow that out. It keeps me turning too many ways. But everyone knows that is the worst verse in the whole Bible to keep track of. Then I'll give you another. Take this, it is shorter. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Doesn't that belong to the one I said I wouldn't have? No, Tom said, it is quite distinct, and I mean not to take an unfair advantage of you. I mean simply, when you are in doubt about a question of any sort, that you stop to think what he says on it, or what, with your present knowledge of his character, you honestly believe he would say to you if you could speak face to face with him, and follow that belief taking my own views of things, and not yours or a commentator's, you mean? Very well, that is easy enough, for I know very little about it, and when I am in doubt I can say I haven't the slightest idea what would be supposed to be the orthodox thing, and then of course I shall do as I please. Yes, I'll try that. Only if I find it as much of a nuisance as the other, will you release me? Not unless you will own yourself conquered. Maria, hurry home and secure that girl, I have decided to see what, first of all, we can do to help her. End of chapter 6